But excited to dive into our series, Asking for a Friend. And I want to thank you for the many of you who filled out an Easter response card last week. Uh, that's really going to help shape our series and the topics that we hit. Uh, in fact, next Sunday, uh, be here because we're going to be addressing uh, one of the top, there were, there were really two top issues that were the, the clear leaders and favorites amongst the church who responded. And we're addressing one of those topics next Sunday uh, in this Asking for a Friend series. So be here for that. Um, but we're, we're looking at, if you're new to Catalyst, we teach in a series. And, uh, you know, Jesus often asks his disciples questions. And from those answers, he, he shaped his teaching. That's what we're doing with this series. Um, and today, before I dive into the topic, uh, I want to get a little bit of audience participation uh, online. I know we can't see your hand, but you can maybe type in the chat. That's me. Uh, here's what I want to ask. If you are in the room uh, and you have ever lost a loved one, a friend, a family member, maybe a beloved pet, could you lift your hand? If you ever lost a loved one, lost a loved one. Okay, keep your hands lifted. If your hand is not lifted, if you have ever experienced the end of a relationship, the loss of a relationship, can you lift your hands? All right, one more, one more. Keep your hands lifted. If your hand is not lifted, uh, but maybe you, you've experienced a loss of a job, maybe you didn't get into a school uh, that you were hoping for, get a job you were hoping for, can you lift your hand? If your hand is not lifted, you were just in rebellion. And <laughs> we'll have a message for you in a few weeks. And uh, we'll have you come forward and just repent. No. Here's why I did that, because loss is an inevitable part of life. And grief is an inevitable part of life. It is, in fact, a universal human experience. You can go across cultures, other nations, across socioeconomic statuses. Everyone has experienced or will experience some type of loss. And that's what I want to talk about today. And maybe you're here today, like many first service, you are in the midst of a grieving process. Or maybe... Uh, you're someone, maybe you're not there right now, uh, but the likelihood of life is that we'll be there at some point. In fact, grief is far more far-reaching than oftentimes we can think upon first thought. In fact, the American Psychological Association defines grief in this way. It says, grief is the anguish experienced after significant loss. That can be the loss of a friend, family member, or loved one. That can be the loss of a marriage. If, you're, if you have a marriage that ends, there's a, there's a grieving to that. Maybe a, a long-term relationship that ends, there's a grieving to that. Maybe the loss of a, of a home or a neighborhood. Do you know this? Sometimes even positive changes in your life include loss. You can change a job and maybe there's some grieving from some of the positive aspects of that previous job. You can move neighborhoods and you can grieve maybe the loss of a relationship you have with a neighbor from your previous neighborhood. That You know that relationship will no longer be the same because you can't just go next door and ask for if they have a few eggs. You also, maybe the, a dream or a goal not coming to fruition. You didn't get into that dream school. You didn't get that promotion. The business didn't take off. Uh, that can have a, a sense of, of loss. Um, season changes. You know, there, can be, there can be grief, again, even in good se season changes. You can, you can grieve um, maybe from college to working life. You know, maybe you can grieve some aspects that you enjoyed from college. Um, from single life to married life. You can grieve some aspects of, of your single life that are not, no longer present in your married life. 
Uh, when you go from married with no kids to married with kids, come on, you grieve the loss of sleep. Come on. On some days, your loss of sanity. Uh, definitely your loss of discretionary income that you once had. Come on, any parents feel that? Um, but loss and grief is an inevitable part of life. It's something we all experience. And I want to talk today about how do we grieve in a healthy manner. Because we'll get to this. Do you know grief actually serves a physical and mental, or, or rather say this, a physiological and psychological um, aspect of your life. Because here's what happens. Uh, there's been a lot of research on this. When you lose someone that you're grieving over, here's the reason why we grieve. Because we had a, an attachment to a person. We had an attachment to a relationship. We had an attachment to a job, to a home. So there's this, there's this grieving. And here's what happens. After the initial loss, cortisol levels increase in your body. And if you know anything about your body, you cannot handle high levels of cortisol over a long period of time. It leads to physical as well as psychological complications in your life. So overwhelmingly, the research shows it's important that we grieve. And the Bible actually includes lots of scripture about grief, Old and New Testament. In fact, there's a book of the Bible called Lamentations, <laughs> speaking to the importance of lamenting. And there are things we experience on an individual level that cause grief. There are things we just walked out of a pandemic, right? There can be corporate grief that all of us experience. There can be losses and pains in the world that all of us experience. Uh, so I want to talk today, how do we grieve in a healthy manner? And maybe you're here today and, and, and you're currently in, like last service, many in the room were in the midst of a grieving process. Or maybe you're here and you're not, but you can be a support to someone who is because we also have a calling to do that. And I believe God's going to speak to us today. But first, let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Uh, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray as we open it up today. Um, God, we know you're going to speak to us. So this morning, we just say, God, we, we are ready to hear from you. And it's in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen. John chapter 11. John chapter 11, if you have your Bibles. If not, they'll be on the screens. I'm going to read several scriptures here out of John 11. Give context. This is Jesus. He comes to Mary and Martha who just experienced a loss of their brother Lazarus. And we see Mary and Martha kind of walk through this grieving process. And there's some application and principles we can glean from them. It says this, verse 17, you can read with me. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus then said to her, your brother will rise again. We're going to go on to verse 32. Now Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him. She fell at his feet. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Now I'm going to pause right here. If you're, maybe you're newer to faith, newer to scripture, and you've been wondering, man, I really want to start memorizing the Bible. I'm going to suggest you start right here, okay? Write this down. John 11:35. Ready? 
Jesus wept. Boom, right? There you go. True story years ago in Sunday school. We had to memorize a Bible verse. We could pick any one. How many know your boy picked John eleven thirty five? Come on. Don't hate the player, hate the game. Verse 36. The Jews then said, see how he loved him. See, I loved him. I want to give us three principles that we see not only in this text but in some other texts on how we can grieve in a healthy way. Here's point number one if you're taking notes. And, you know, if you're not taking notes, just write this down for your neighbor. Is uh, grieve over time. Grieve over time. We got to take the time to grieve. It's important. The scripture says that Mary and Martha, that many Jews had come to grieve with them. In fact, in, in Jewish culture and still some practices today, there's what's known as the shiva. The shiva is seven days that they would take where if you were the one who was mourning the loss of someone, you would sit as close to the ground as possible for seven days. And family and friends would come in, they would sit alongside you, uh, and they would grieve with you. You were not to go to school, to work, engage in any of your common pleasures, so not binge watch your favorite Netflix show, not go to your favorite restaurant, not scroll on TikTok, not go to the Nationals game downtown. You were just to take these seven days to grieve. And it's important that we understand the importance of taking the time to grieve. In fact, Job, in Job chapter 2, Job is, of course, mourning the death of his family and his friends come to, to comfort him. And the Bible actually says this in verse 13 of chapter 2, that they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. And no one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. In fact, what was, what was the shiva, how you practice it, is that the people who are coming to grieve with you are not to speak until you speak. So they can just, in this case, they sat in silence with Job for seven days and seven nights. Deuteronomy 34, 8, the Israelites, it says this, grieved for Moses in the plains of Moab for 30 days till the time of weeping and mourning was over. Here's the scriptures remind us. The length of time it takes to grieve is unique to each and every person. In fact, the British Journal of Psychiatry in 2018 found this. They found in, in, a, in a kind of longitudinal research that the average person uh, grieves anywhere, they said, from six months to four years. Now, what the research also shows us, in fact, the American Psychological Association tells us this, even after you complete grief, you might re-enter grief because maybe an anniversary or uh, something reminds you and you grieve once again. But... Let me just say this off the, off, the process, off the top. That grieving is a process, so go easy on yourself. I've, I've noticed this. In fact, the British Journal of Psychiatry found that your emotions peak at, at month four or six. And maybe you've experienced this. A lot of times when we experience grief, there's usually a lot of support that first month. But it's month two, three. Four through six is usually if someone's lost someone, if their marriage of 20 years has ended, if they, if they lost a job, that month four or six, they're actually, statistically, research shows, the worst, worst place emotionally. That's the time you want to circle back and check in on your friends who are mourning, who are grieving. But grieving is an individual process, and we must take the time to grieve. Now, I was reminded two years ago, I injured, injured my rotator cuff, my left rotator cuff, 
Um, in fact, I've injured it three times. Uh, your boy has a hard head, okay? Um, so I, I had injured it while lifting weights. So I took 10 days off from any weightlifting. And then I was feeling good. I was feeling like, man, I could go back in and lift weights again. So what did I do? Did I go back in and, you know, start light? No, no player. I went back in on that bench press, heavy once again. You're like, I'm, I'm good. Guess what happened? Rotator cuff said, no, no, I ain't good. <laughs> I re-injured it. Even worse. So much so I had to consult a physical trainer. I, I had to adjust my workouts for about six months because of it. Can I just say this? In the same way it's important that you take the proper time to heal an injured ligament, you have to take proper time to heal your soul after loss. Because we're going to get to this. Unresolved grief, or what the research calls complicated grief, can be detrimental. In fact, let me say this. Unresolved grief leads to unhealthy souls. Here's what Proverbs says, speaking of unresolved grief. It says this, that laughter can conceal a heavy heart. But when the laughter ends, the grief remains. And I was someone who, when probably the, the biggest, and maybe you're thinking right now of times where you've lost someone. In fact, my, my first memory of grief was I was, a ch- I was a child and my childhood dog passed away. How I many of you can grieve the loss of a pet? And let me just say this. Grief is unique. So don't, you don't have to ever feel bad about what you're grieving. Like you don't have to feel bad that, that maybe even, for example, you can grieve the loss of some quality of life because of an illness that you or a relative has. You, you can grieve the loss of a pet. You can grieve a shift in jobs. Like, again, it's all individual. But probably the most pronounced grief I've ever experienced in my life was the loss of my father at the age of 16. In fact, I remember very vividly um, when I got picked up from a high school basketball practice by my brother-in-law. And I knew something was wrong because he never picked me up from basketball practice. And I came home, and before we got into the, really the house in the foyer, uh, he had told me that my father was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And really given any moment, like this could just go. So began my grieving process. And about seven days after my father's death, which was about a month later happened, about seven days after I was in high school, I went back to school. But I also went full on back to basketball and all my activities. In fact, I think some were kind of surprised how quickly I like fully back in everything. And it actually was a pattern in my life that one of the ways I'm going to get to this, that I actually numbed the pain of grief, was I threw myself into activity. Uh, that I, I, when I got to college, I threw myself into studies. When I became a professional, I first started working as a psychologist. I threw myself into my work. And you know what I've learned? There are some addictions in our culture that we frown upon. But there are some addictions in our culture we get cheered for. One of them is an addiction to achievement and work in school. No one's going to tell you, oh, man, you got all these honor. I, got, I had all these honors in college. No one was like, man, you need to slow down. Everyone's like, yeah. I was numbing pain. And I believe that's probably many people in our culture, that there's a, there's a numbing whether it's alcohol or narcotic or food or entertainment or work, it wasn't until, true story, 21 years after my father's death in 2020, um, 
How many know 2020 raised a lot of things to the surface for people in their mental health? did for me. I had some anxiety and stress. I reached out to a counselor. I had my first session with him. He's still my counselor today. Some of you are like, wow, you have a counselor, Jeremy? Maybe you're shocked. I would say I'm shocked you don't have one, okay? <laughs> you go see a physical doctor, I think you'd have a mental doctor here as well. Can I get an amen? I, wanna, I think it's before we normalize that because the research shows clearly we, we all have struggles. You need somebody in your life you can talk to help you process it. Um, so I thought, man, I'm going to talk about my anxiety and stress. And then, like, you know, he's going to give me these tools. And maybe like, maybe, like, two or three sessions and I'll be good. We're good, right? First session, I'm telling him my issues. He says, I actually think the anxiety you're experiencing as a 37-year-old man is due to unresolved grief from the passing of your father when you were 16. May I submit this to you? The anxiety you're feeling, you think is an anxiety problem, but that may be just a symptom. It might be unresolved grief. That issue might, you, know, you have, you drink a little too much, that you might think maybe I have a problem with alcohol, it actually might be the symptom because you're numbing a pain of unresolved grief. That workaholic, why can't I turn off this, this, this drive? Because it might be that work, again, achievement, success, is numbing some pain of unresolved grief. It's important. The research is clear. In fact, the Journal of Oncology in 2018, sorry, 2008, did this research where they studied parents who lost their children to cancer. They did a longitudinal study. It was over eight years. And they looked at, they were measuring the physical and mental health of these parents. And they looked at those who, and I'm going to walk through the stages of grief, which has kind of been accepted upon since 1969 in the mental health world. So they looked at, as they process through grief, those who process through grief in a healthy way and those who have what the research calls unresolved or complicated grief. And parents who they, have, they had unresolved or complicated grief were worse off in their physical health as measured by visits to a doctor and days off of work due to sickness. And they had worse mental health due to assessments that showed increases of depression and anxiety to those who have unresolved grief. Go back to what I first said. When you, when you experience loss, cortisol spikes in your body. And cortisol over a long period of time will do danger for you. Can I tell you, I think it's actually the work of the devil to shame people in their grief so you don't actually fully grieve because it does damage to your body. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. And my hope today, if you feel nothing else, is that you feel freedom to grieve. You feel freedom to mourn. The Bible says that God comforts those of us who are mourning, who are grieving. But unresolved grief is real. In fact, sometimes it can get so significant, the DSM-5, the, the American Psychological Association, actually um, put it in what's called prolonged grief disorder. It means your complicated grief has now become clinical. You now can receive this diagnosis. They say 7 to 10% of people who are grieving will have prolonged grief disorder, which would re require more treatment in order to, to become healthy again. So... Here are some signs of unresolved grief. Maybe if you're wondering, do I have unresolved grief? We're going to touch on this. Then we're going to touch on the stages of grief. 
and then we'll go to point two. Here are some signs of unresolved grief. Number one is obsession. So you're obsessed over the person, the maybe the 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 evidence and de- the, the events and details around the passing or the end of the marriage. Maybe you're obsessed about the relationship to end it. There's like this obsession with it. Second is a fear of loss. You're like, I lost one parent to cancer, so now if I'm honest in the back of my mind, I fear I'm going to lose another one. My last relationship ended unexpectedly, so I have this fear this relationship is going to end unexpectedly. Or I grew up in a household where my parents were divorced, or I saw lots of divorce in my family. So if I'm honest, I have this feeling that I'm fearing that my marriage will end in divorce. Third is irritability. You kind of have a short fuse. Fourth is addictive behaviors. Again, we kind of talked about this. Addiction looks like lots of things, not just narcotics and alcohol, but it can be lots of things, even good things like work and school. And then lastly is apathy or numbness, kind of a blah, like you lost motivation, lost energy for things you once had it for. So because of unresolved grief, we must resolve our grief. In fact, let me read you Psalms 35. It says this, that, that weeping may stay for the night. Now, if you, you know scripture well, you know what the next part is. It says, but rejoicing comes in the morning. We'll get to that. Don't worry. But it says weeping may stay for the night. There, there's, a, there's, a, there, there's, there's times and, and seasons where, where it's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. In fact, I want you to, I want you to receive this. It's okay to not be okay. And if you lose someone that you love deeply, you probably shouldn't be okay for a little bit. If you have a marriage of 26 years that suddenly ends, you probably are going to not be okay for a little bit. And that's okay. God is, is fully okay with your, your grief, your pain. So let me give you real quick five stages of grief. And I'm going to go through them quickly. I mean, there's actually a whole book. So 1969, Dr. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, a Swiss-American psychiatrist, did this extensive study on death and dying. Is the book called the, the name of her book. And these five stages that she came up with are kind of the universally accepted stages of grief that mental health professionals around the world embrace. I'm going to go through them briefly. You can research more deeply for yourself. But I think it's important to note them to kind of maybe identify if you're in grief where you are. And also, note the, the way some of these are worded, you can think, oh, that sounds bad. None of these stages are bad. They're normal. They're like just part of the process. So here's stage one, is denial. It means when the loss first happens, when the marriage initially ends, like you're kind of in shock. Or the job suddenly comes to an end, you're in shock. Or the, the loss of a loved one, you're kind of in this shock, a little bit numb. Then the emotions settle in. And that's what's called anger. It's the second stage. And in anger, your anger can be directed at the person. Like, why didn't they take care of themselves better? That led to their passing. Or why didn't my spouse do this differently in the marriage? The anger can be at yourself. What I should have done. In fact, I read a story this week of a, of a man whose daughter had a, her bike, lost control, went in the, uh, the road and got hit, lost her life. He got stuck. He was angry at himself. Like, I can't believe I, I shouldn't have allowed her to ride her bike by herself. It also can be anger at God. Like, God, how could you? 
Which then brings us into the third stage, which is bargaining. This is the what ifs. Well, what if I would have got a counselor in my marriage, could we still be together? Well, what if we would have went to the doctor the first signs of his cancer? Well, what, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if we kind of go through this process? Which then, this is an important phase, the fourth stage is depression. That's where the full weight of the loss hits you. And you feel this deep sadness. Which then leads to the final stage, which is where we all want to be and get to, which is acceptance. Acceptance. It's not that you're fully okay. It's just you've accepted the reality they're no longer with me. Now, here's what even Dr. Kubler-Ross says as well as others, that you can, you can complete the stages of grief and then re-enter them. Like you may have an anniversary of their death or their birthday or a significant holiday or your wedding anniversary, and you kind of might go back into that, that process a little bit. Dr. Kubler-Ross says this, the reality is that you will grieve forever. You will not get over the loss of a loved one. You will learn to live with it. You will heal. You will rebuild yourself around the losses you've suffered. You will be whole again, but you'll never be the same. Nor should you be the same. Nor should you want to. That actually the, the, the evidence of grief is the evidence of your love. Because we love that person that our relationship's over. We love that person who's passed from this life to the next. So we have to, we have to take the time to grieve. So go easy on yourself. Here's number two. Don't worry, it's going to get hopeful, okay? But we've got to lay that framework first. Because I, I need you to be okay with not being okay. I need you to know it's okay to grieve. It's okay to weep. It's okay to mourn. It's okay if it takes you months. It's okay if it takes you years. You don't have to feel any shame about that. Number two is we got to grieve alongside others. The scripture tells us that many Jews had come to grieve with Mary and Martha. They were surrounded by people. Again, it was commonplace in the Jewish culture with the Shiva was you'd have family and friends coming over and they would just sit with you, be with you, um, have conversation with you if you started that, bring food to you. That's an important part of this process. In fact, the American Psychological Association says one of the best things you can do when grieving is to have social support, not to kind of pull in. And I think, have you noticed this? I feel like in some degrees, and I'm just kind of my own observation, I feel like in our Western culture, sometimes we don't, we don't give enough liberty and room for grief. It's almost like, well, like the first week or two, we understand, but if like three months later, and you think of the loss, and you start weeping. You maybe even heard this. Someone will say, I'm sorry. Like, it's almost like in our culture we're sort of conditioned of like, hey, you got, you got a little bit of space. But then clean it up, okay? <laughs> but that's not reality. That's not the way you are physiologically designed. It's not the way your brain can even function. Your cortisol levels are still pretty high, <laughs> So, like, we need to be able to have that space and that room to grieve. And, to, and we need other people. We need those to come around us. I was reminded when my father passed and, and people were coming in our house and bringing us food. I had enough lasagna for a lifetime. And just coming, sitting, sharing memories. And, and it was ministry. 
It was, it, my, our souls needed it as we were grieving. You know, John 11, when Jesus was on the cross, um, or sorry, John 19, rather, John 19, Jesus says to John and Mary, if you remember this, he says, you know, he refers to John, this is your mother. Uh, and then he says to, to, to um, Mary, to John, about John, this is your son now. What Jesus was saying is, with my death on the cross, for the next few days of your mourning, comfort each other. You need each other. And we need each other. That's why Paul said in Romans 12, 15, rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. You need those to come alongside you and just to sit with you and to be with you. I like to call it the ministry of presence. Have you ever experienced this? You have some pain. And you don't need someone to tell you an encouraging word. In fact, let me say this. Someone needs to write this down maybe. I've been there. I've made this mistake. Someone's in deep pain over grief and you'll be like, it's going to get, it's going to all be okay. Right? Because someone's like, I don't want to hear it's going to, you know, like, because I'm not okay right now. now. I know it's good intentions. But sometimes what, what, what you need is someone to just come and sit with you. Be with you. That in and of itself is it's ministry, and I think from the ancient practice of the Jewish people, we can embrace this and practice this in our own life and experience it. Now, maybe you're here and you're thinking to yourself, well, I'm not experiencing any sort of grief right now, Jeremy. Well, here's my application for you, so write this down. Galatians 6.2 says this, to share each other's burdens. How many of you know grief is a burden? It's a weight. Biblically speaking, Per the American Psychological Association, you are, not to, you are not created to bear the weight of grief all by yourself. Share each other's burdens. So share, share their grief. And in this way, watch this, we obey the law of Christ to love our neighbor as ourselves. As I was thinking about weight, I was reminded about a year ago, we were moving this, we had this recliner downstairs. We were moving, we were moving upstairs to our bedroom to... Um, be a rocking chair for my youngest Abigail. And uh, I thought to myself, you know, I, I can do this by myself, you know. Um, this is one of the few times I was reminded I am not called to be a mover. Come on, somebody. If you're a mover, thank God for you. So I was, I was like, I, I can get, I lift weights. I can lift this chair up. So I put this recliner, true story, on my shoulder. And I thought, Christina's digging me right now. She's like, look at my man. Come on. I'm like, that's right. You see that bicep, baby? Come on. I had to spit some game while you're doing it, you know. You got to try whatever you can to spit that game. I was good for the first few steps. But as soon as my foot hit the stairs and I began to ascend, your boy wasn't good anymore. I said, oh, baby, I, I, I need you to come. <laughs> I, I need a hand. In fact, I need both your hands. In fact, if you got more hands, go ahead and get them out because I, I, need, I need some help right now. And I thought to myself, grief is a lot like that. Your first few steps, I'm like, I'm good. But you might actually still be in the denial phase, which is why you feel good. Then that month four hits the peak of your depression, the peak of your anger, I'm not good. 
I'm not good. This is why you need other people, church. And this is why we are called to, listen, we, have, we know friends, fellow church members, family, and coworkers. One of the best things you can do is try to come alongside them to bear that weight. In fact, here's the beauty of God. He'll actually redeem your past grief to help someone now in their grief. Paul said this in 2 Corinthians, that praise the God our Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us, watch this, in all our troubles so that we can be a comfort to those in any trouble with the comfort we've received from God. Have you noticed this before? When you can empathize with someone, you almost feel like you can comfort them a little bit better. I know for me when I lost my dad, when I would talk to people who lost their father, I felt like I could, I could feel that pain. So I felt like I could, I could comfort in a little more, better manner than some of their loss. God will do. So he, he, let me give you just three practical ways. Just for those of you, and for all of us, especially those of you who are like, I'm, I'm not really grieving right now, pastor. Three ways you can support someone. Because I guarantee you, even this week, I've had about four conversations, random conversations with people who've recently lost somebody. Um, three conversations you can help somebody who is grieving. Number one is ask about their grief. Hey, how are you doing? And feel free to ask them six months in. They'll probably really appreciate that because that question probably isn't asked as much as it once was. Number two is spend time with them. Again, the ministry of presence. Bring over their favorite meal. And invite them to come along with you to a, a game or some, something. And just, just be with them. Number three, let's pray for them. Because it's going to bring us to our final point. Because God can do far more to comfort us in our grief than we could ever do. Which brings you to our final point. So we've got we to gotta grieve over time. We've got to grieve alongside others. Then we have to grieve with God. We have to grieve with God. And this is the game changer. This is the game changer. Verse 20 of John 11, Martha, let me just say this too. I think, I think Martha gets a bad rap. Anybody else, you like want to improve the reputation of Martha in the church? I think Martha gets beat up. I'm, I love Martha. I'm pro-Martha, okay? Mary needs, to, Mary needs to get up and do something. Come on, somebody. Mary, you need to clean some dishes around here or something. You need to clean up your room, Mary. That's why you live with me. Sorry. Go, Martha. And Mary. But Martha heard that Jesus was coming and she wanted to meet him. See? But Mary stayed home. She's so lazy. Okay? Thank God for Martha. We wouldn't even have this scripture wouldn't for Martha. Okay? Mary's like, oh, Jesus came. I didn't know because I was doing nothing. Um... Come on, come on, tell her, Martha. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Here's why I think Martha gets a bad rap, because watch her faith. Martha's clearly frustrated. Maybe she's got that anger right now. It's like, Jesus, where you been? And he doesn't rebuke her either, so just note that. He doesn't get mad at her. She says, watch this, but, even, but I know that even though that God will give you whatever you ask. She says, even still, God, I'm frustrated. You should have been here. You're a little bit late. But I still believe. I love, I love Martha's faith. 
And Jesus said, your brother will rise again. He goes on to say, I am the resurrection and the life. That Jesus, watch, he comforts them differently. Remember, grief is unique to all of us. He comforts Martha with, her, with his words. Martha needed to hear the words of Christ. And can I tell you, the word of God is a great comforter. In fact, Psalm 119, 28, David writes this. My soul is weary with sorrow. You ever been there? Strengthen me according to your word, he says. You know, the word of God will strengthen you. Jesus said while he was fasting in the wilderness, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. He said, John 6, my words are words of life. Psalm 119, David said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It's a light unto my path. I mean, the word of God is powerful. The author of Hebrews says, this word is living and active. You know what the word of God does? It's so powerful. The word of God, it gives me right thinking while I'm grieving. Because here, here's, a, here's, a, here's, a, here's a fallacy we all can fall into. You should feel your emotion. You should process your emotion. But do not be led by your emotion while you're grieving. When I lost my father, he was a, he was a lie I bought into. I bought in a lie that God was not present in my father's death. Maybe you felt that. Like, God, if you're God, where were you? But the word of God set my thinking back and right. And God has shown me the truth. Psalm 23, 4. Let me read this for you. David writes, even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. For you are with me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. David writes this as a shepherd. Here's what a shepherd would have known. When I lead my sheep, it's inevitable my sheep will have to go through dark ravines. It's inevitable. My sheep will have to go into dangerous valleys where there's predators. He says, but a good shepherd has a rod and a staff that comforts the sheep. And can I tell you, Jesus is called the good shepherd. And he says, child, I know you'll go through pain. I know you'll experience loss. I know you'll experience heartache. In fact, God's word reminds us he is close to the brokenhearted. He says, I know you're going to go through hard things. You're going to go through dark valleys. You're going to go through dark nights of the soul. You're going to go through dark and dangerous ravines. But know that the good shepherd is with you. And my rod, my staff, my word will comfort you. The word of God will comfort us, church. If we'll allow it. Psalm 35 scripture, what did it say? That though weeping may stay for the night, it's the good news, church. Rejoicing will come in the morning. This, this, listen, the state you're in right now, if you're in pain, it is not the final chapter. It's not the final answer. Embrace the season. Embrace the moment. It stays for a night. But morning's coming. Let's go to Mary next. Mary then. Mary finally showed up, okay? <laughs> Late and lazy Mary. 
No, we love Mary too. We just like Martha better. <laughs> just kidding. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was, she saw him. She fell at his feet. A little side note, if you love these little, little facts, there are three different instances in the gospel that every time that Mary saw Jesus, she fell at his feet. I'll give Mary that. She said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Watch this. When he saw her weeping and the others weeping, he was deeply moved. Of course, he weeps with her in that moment. Martha was comforted by the words of God. Mary was comforted by the presence of God. She's grasping for the feet of Jesus. And can I tell you, God can do, God can bring healing to your soul. I'll say it this way, that a moment in the presence of God can bring more healing to your soul than lifetimes of therapy. There's something, church, can I tell you, the presence of God, it's like the X factor. Yeah. The, it, uh, do therapy. Have support. All of that. But be in the presence of God. The Bible says in the presence there's a fullness of joy in his presence. Uh -huh. So he's, she's desperate for his presence. It reminds me of the psalm. The psalmist 56 verse 8 wrote this about God. You keep track of all my sorrows. That means God knows your pain. He's aware of your pain. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. Maybe some of you, let me just say this. Maybe you viewed God as this like authoritarian, um, maybe even slightly angry distant God, and that is not accurate. This is the God whom we serve, that he, he knows your sorrow. He, he's, he, he, he is near to those who draw near to him. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. He's collected your tears in a bottle, the God of the universe. He says, child, you can weep with me. You can mourn with me. You can cry out to me. You can cast your cares upon me. You can give me your pain. You don't have to walk through this life holding on to that all by yourself. I put my son on the cross not just to give you eternal life, but to support you right where you are right now. In fact, he's a God who can empathize with us. Watch Isaiah 53.3, referring to Jesus. And the band can come. He was despised and rejected. That was last Friday. Good Friday. A man of sorrows, acquainted with the deepest of grief. That grief that he took upon himself was your sin, was my sin. Aren't you grateful? But he felt the weight, the burden of our sin. He took upon the deepest of grief. I tell you, when someone can empathize with you, they have a profound greater way to comfort you. And not only does our God have all power, but he also can empathize with you. He's acquainted with the deepest of grief. So what do we do? Because we read scriptures like Matthew 5, 4, where Jesus says this, blessed are those who mourn. That word blessed is the word happy. It almost seems a contradiction of language, right? 
You're saying happy are those who mourn? Watch this. For they will be comforted. So he's saying, again, this is in the final chapter. I was reminded of the actual moment my father passed. And my father loved Jesus. And we had people from church and family. We knew that his moment of passing was any moment. And while he was passing, he was uh, hospice, he was at home. There's about 25 of us maybe, maybe a little bit less, a little more, in the room. And we were worshiping God. And we weren't worshiping God because of the circumstance. We were worshiping God because we have a hope beyond the circumstance. And we felt the tangible presence of God in the room. The moment he passed from death to eternal life. And church, here is the, and we will not be able to fully comprehend it with our finite minds. Psalm 3011, where he says, you, you turned my wailing, the psalmist writes, into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and you clothed me with joy. Woodrow Crawl said this, that we do not rejoice in spite of our, we, we rejoice in spite of our grief, watch this, not in place of it. Here's what can happen in the presence of God. And here's why I want to encourage you today to give your grief to God, to cry out to God. Because even in the midst of your sorrow, he can give you joy. Even in the midst of a hopeless circumstance, he is a hope as an anchor for our soul. Even in the midst of your pain, he can give you peace. And it seems like a contradiction of terms, but that's when heaven meets earth, when joy invades sorrow, when peace invades pain. When hope invades a hopeless situation. That our joy does not come from a relative getting healthier. Your peace won't come from the marriage reconciling. No, it can come only from Christ. And him crucified and resurrected. This is why Paul said to the Thessalonian church. He says, we as people of, of, of God... We don't grieve like those who have no hope because we have a hope beyond this world. So even in the face of death, we can experience life because of Christ.